Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Well, hello there on this first day of February. (laughs) How are you? It is Frankie Sense and More, and we are here with a wonderful guest, as you can see, on Facebook Live. So I'm going to ask you guys this. What do you think the difference is between spirit, soul, and personality? In her book, The Infinite View, a guide for life on earth. My guest today, Ellen Tad, states that spirit is the God force that animates and empowers us and suffuses everyone and everything. Now, while spirit is conscious and communicative, we haven't been taught to look for or listen to it. In fact, most of us have been conditioned not to look or listen. So, Who is Ellen Tad and why should we listen to her? (laughs) Well, she's an internationally known clairvoyant counselor. She's been teaching and counseling for more than 40 years. She's widely respected for the integrity of her work, the accuracy of her perceptions and guidance, and the clarity and usefulness of her teaching. Ah, that's what we need. Her work has been supported by the Edgar Cayce Foundation, the Marion Institute, Deepak Chopra, Child Spirit Institute, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and the Boston Center for Adult Education, among others. Yes, she's the author of The Wisdom of the Chakras, Death and Letting Go, and she has a new one in the work, A Framework for Wise Education. Please welcome Ellen Tad to the show. Hello, Ellen, and welcome. Thank you, Frankie. It's fun to be here with you. <laughs> well, Ellen and I tried this a while ago and it, and when I was with TogiNet, and it just didn't work out so well. So we're trying it again, and now we get to see her beautiful face, so it's even more special for me. Ellen, um, I find the idea of spirit, soul, and personality absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure that everybody listening wants to know, what is the difference? Do I come, do I have a soul? Do I have, a, what, what's spirit? Like, what is all this stuff? You know, some people use those terms interchangeably, and I really make a distinction. So the spirit is a spark of the God force, just as you read, that exists in everyone. It's our enlightened self. It's the only part of our nature that doesn't change or evolve. It's our only constant. And every spirit has an individual emphasis. One spirit may emphasize creativity, another nurturing, another power. Whatever our particular spiritual emphasis is, it doesn't change. This I call it our particular instrument in the orchestra of life. And then over the spirit is the soul. And the soul is the container of the spirit that allows the spirit to have individuality and animation. The soul, different from the spirit, is very complicated. It contains all of our past life patterns, traumas, talents, fears, skills that have accumulated through all of the many lives we've lived. So as you hear, I do believe in reincarnation. Mm -hmm. And in the soul, there's a concept that I call first error, or the original attitude that was not in harmony with our spiritual nature. In Christianity, they call it original sin. But what I found in my clairvoyance and clairaudience is that it's not the same for everyone. 
we have our own brand of confusion, our own brand of fear. And this is our deepest lesson in the soul. And when we incarnate, we're guided towards parents and circumstance that bring up this issue so we can work on it and evolve. And then over the soul is our personality, which is influenced by genetics, conditioning from parents, society, and education, our environment. And that's where psychology stops. And then I add past life influences and then influence from the spiritual essence. Okay, I'm going to stop you. So when, peer, when people talk about they wanting to talk to their higher self, they're talking to spirit. Is that well, what they, they're thinking of? You know, what I find is um, I'm, I'm a real stickler about accurate words. Okay. And yes, to me, a higher self would be the spirit. But sometimes people use that term and they're not specific enough. It might be that they're accessing their individual spirit. It might be that they're accessing guides that exist in the spiritual world. It might be that they're accessing the God force that exists everywhere, which has consciousness too. So sometimes it's important to clarify that. But I would, I would guess for many of us, we don't know which one we're talking to. I agree. And that's part of what I teach. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So discernment. Oh, awesome. Okay. So our spirit stays the same every lifetime. Yeah. Our soul contains our karmic debt, would you say that is that is correct? And and the issues that we're going to work on throughout our lifetimes, but the as well as our and the emphasis though in the in the uh, spirit side that goes through every lifetime. Yes. So, so you said yours is wisdom. So every lifetime yours would be about wisdom. Yes, except that the circumstances that I would incarnate into would vary. Okay. So how I need to use that wisdom would vary. So I use the term attunement, mm -hmm. which is attunement is aligning our conscious mind with our spirit. And therefore, you know, we can't make hard and fast rules about what is right and what is wrong because it's always situational. How many would there be? Like, I mean, are there infinite number or is there like 10 that rotate around that most people <laughs> fall into a category or... Well, it's a really interesting question. You mean how many individual spiritual emphasis are there? Yes. Um, I love that question. Thank you. Um, you know, the way I write about it in my book and the way I think about it is it's like ice cream flavors or colors. Mm -hmm. So you have the red group and the blue group, but there's an there's an infinite number of different tints and shades, or you can have vanilla, but with chocolate swirls, right? Mm -hmm. So um, two people who have wisdom as a spiritual emphasis will, will have similarities, but there's difference as well. One may be very strong. One may be very gentle. One may be wise, but that wisdom tends to, uh, have more of a nurturing quality or more of an intellectual quality. So there's, there's variations on themes. It, it, it's so fascinating, really. I mean, I got a gazillion questions just from that question, right? Oh, I like questions. <laughs> so I'm going to follow you here. So if my flavor is, I don't know what it is, but let's say it's, uh, what would one be? Another one other than wisdom, creativity, or what else would there be? Is another one. What what other kinds might there be? Uh, 
loving. Okay. So even power or, um, and you would keep that every lifetime. Yes. And is this something that is necessary to have back home or wherever that is? You mean going back into the spiritual world? Correct. Well, what does that mean? Necessary. Well, I don't know necessary, but um, if, if, if we come into this, into our life and, and do we only have that, that, that's, well, we don't have that spirit when we're here in body. We have that spirit wherever we are in our yeah. soul, right? Well, or, okay. so let's clarify terms. Cause one thing yeah. that's kind of confusing is the word spirit that I'm talking about spirit as the essence of our being. Right. We'll talk about spirits that are around us. I'm talking about my spiritual essence. Yes. Mm-hmm. But the, the point is, is that when we die, both our spirit and our soul leave together. Okay. Because we maintain individuality after death. Right. So we continue an evolutionary process in the spiritual realm. Okay. So just because someone goes to the spiritual realm, you know, I wrote a little book called Death and Letting Go as well, because I wanted people to know that just because you go to the spiritual realm doesn't mean you go to the light. Right. There are many different types of death experiences and there are ways to have them be successful, just like there are ways to have life on earth be successful. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to go, well, who decides? <laughs> who decides what you're going to get? Well, you know, I should probably back up and say, why do I know any of this? And, um, and where did this information come from? So um, to give your audience a background, uh, when I was a child, I had clairvoyant and clairaudent experiences. I had out-of-body experiences, and I was mostly afraid because um, it didn't seem like other people around me had these experiences and my mother had a severe case of MS and I thought if she's sick, probably something's terribly wrong with me too. And so I, I felt quite anxious with my sensitivity and my father was a physicist. And so I grew up in a scientifically oriented household. You know, I said, daddy, I can see molecules. And he explained why I couldn't actually took me to an electron microscope to show me what they look like. And I wasn't seeing molecules. So then I got really scared. So uh, it was quite a process of being what I call a sensitive in an insensitive world. I was never ridiculed, but I wasn't understood. Mm -hmm. And then at age 19, my mother had been dead for two years. And she came back and talked to me after she died. And after that, it was like a veil was lifted. And I stopped fighting a natural inclination, which was to be able to converse with the spiritual world. And then I started having beings appear to me, but I also felt like, okay, I have this ability. Um, and I make this analogy in my book, my brother had the ability of being a musician and he had to decide which instrument he wanted to play. And I had to decide how do I want to use this natural ability to connect to the spiritual world. And I was less interested in being someone who gave messages from dead relatives, which is ironic because that's what opened me um, because I came from an academic family. And so I was interested in what's the meaning of life? Mm -hmm. What's, how does it all function? And uh, I wanted to communicate with those who were much wiser than I was. And I started to have beings quite literally appear to me and teach me and 
um, and really had a long period of training. And basically they said, we're going to train you to be a sensitive in an insensitive world. And they gave me tools and techniques and they gave me philosophy. And, you know, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time now, so I have a whole body of experiences. And what I do in my workshops and my classes is try to help people have their own experiences because I really don't want to be the authority, but I do share what I've learned from these magnificent beings. And then I ask people to take it into their own self for final confirmation. Right. So it's so many people are searching and seeking, you know, the answers to all of the questions that you, that you can answer, I guess. And uh, there's a lot of pain in the world today, a lot more than I think there was even, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Um, and a lot of people who are sensitive, I have found, call them light workers, if you like, um, are also in pain. I agree. Um, and so is there a reason for that? There are a number of reasons. And um, so, I mean, there's so many things to say. And, and so to begin in a simple way, I'd like to talk about the chakra system because it's a succinct part of what I teach. I, I teach a lot of different things, but using the chakra system as a framework helps to simplify complicated conversations. So I became interested in the chakra system about 10 years after I had this watershed awakening with my mother. And I became interested in the chakras because I wanted to understand people's behavior. <laughs> I was particularly confused by what I call PhD kindergartners, people who are very developed in certain parts of their life and very undeveloped in other parts. And so I started watching chakras. I decided to use my sensitivity to just watch people's energies. And I really did it for a couple decades. And, um, and I learned a lot. And one of the fundamental things I learned is how we focus impacts on how we perceive and how we feel. And that what I see is we are a solar plexus dominant culture. And what that means is whoever started the concept follow your gut has become popular. And I think it's a big mistake because in the chakra system from my guidance and from what I've perceived is the solar plexus is the center of emotion. Mm -hmm. center of human emotion. It's not the center of perception. So if we live our life focused in the gut, which is quite common, mm -hmm. it's like feeling your way through your life. And think of the analogy of walking down the street with your eyes closed and feeling your way. It's mm -hmm. dangerous. You're going to misinterpret. You feel vulnerable. And so what I've found is that when people focus out of the middle of their forehead, this is the third eye chakra, this is the center of wisdom and clear perception. And as my guides say, perception informs feeling. And so the third eye needs to inform our emotion. It's not a repression of emotion or a lack of appreciating the value of the solar plexus. It's using each chakra as its appropriate purpose. And so I've been working quite hard at training people to live life looking through their forehead. Some people in, you know, will take gut and intuition and, and go, that's my intuition. Is, yes. Are they actually really seeing through their third eye or are they feeling? So, so what is intuition? Intuition is deep feeling. Mm -hmm. And so intuition actually does reside in the solar plexus. Okay. And because it's where feeling resides. 
But what happens when you use your deep feeling as your form of perception? For example, let's say you're spending time with someone and they're going through a lot and you're in your solar plexus. What's very likely is you're going to absorb what they're feeling. And so you're going to know what they're feeling because you're feeling it too. But feeling it too, if they're in turmoil and going through a lot, it's not all that good for you. Right. If you're in your third eye, you can see they're going through a lot, have compassion for them, navigate it wisely without having to bring all that into yourself. Got it. Okay. So we're, we're, you're teaching people to, to look through their third eye. And is it as easy as you say? I mean, we're all missing it. So, I mean, is it that we don't know about it? Or is it very, is this difficult? Both. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it depends on the person. Okay. Um, there are some people I teach the mechanism of how to activate the third eye, which is there's only one way to activate the third eye and it's focus and concentration. So in sports, the zone is deep activation of the third eye. And I've talked to athletes, high-performing athletes, when they're in the zone, they're not attached to winning, they actualize their best, and essentially they have really deeply focused and they've activated the third eye. So once people learn the mechanism of focus and concentration and practice it, then what makes it hard are emotional attachments to how we want things to be. So those emotional attachments are like anchors that pull us back into the solar plexus. So if someone is really attached to winning the game, then they're going to have trouble getting in the zone. If someone is really attached to a certain project or really attached to a certain relationship, it's going to be hard for them to stay objective. So it's a combination of learning the power of focus and concentration And also recognizing that when we accept what is and are not attached to the results, then we can get clearer and actualize our desires more clearly and more appropriately. So my guides define an attachment is a desire mixed up with fear. It's not that the desire is a problem. Right. The fear of not getting it or not losing it block clarity. Okay. So if I was to, if I was to, you know, should I take this job or that job, which is going to be better for me long run? And I'm using my third eye to decide um, dispassionately. Uh, you would be looking at it dispassionately and just as a, as a movie or as a, I would, might hear something, I might see something. It could happen in any. Of- well, so first of all, the third eye is not between the brows. It's right in the middle of the forehead. So this is the point of focus. Now, there's something that I call the rubber band effect where people are partly focused and partly not focused, partly in the solar plexus and partly in the third eye. So they're less in emotional turmoil, but not the full clarity of deep focus. So there are degrees, but what I find with the third eye and having worked with a lot of people on this is sometimes the, I mean, the third eye is wisdom. Mm -hmm. So what's why sometimes the third eye gives you the next definitive step. Sometimes you're looking for an answer to a question and the third eye is saying, nope, just the next step because the next definitive step is going to show you how things are going to unfold. And so there's a need to stay open to things not being exactly how you think they're going to be. 
but it will give you the next definitive step. And sometimes it'll give you the vision for the future and sometimes it won't, but it will give you the wise view. This is going to be sound kind of crazy if, for people who are listening. <laughs> but this, this is this is a question I've, I've thought about often. Because we talked about the personality being, you know, part of that DNA that comes through from our parents yeah. and, and that we've, you know, that, that's created. When people, you know, trace their lineage back, let's say, to wherever, that's just this lifetime, is it not? It's not the lifetime before this. Yes. Because that would be a different DNA yes. transaction. So, so what my guides say is that the genetic pool is quite large. Right. And that when we incarnate, we're guided into a family in a circumstance and with a genetic propensity that is harmonious with our karmic learning. Okay. And is there ever an end to the karmic learning? <laughs> well, I asked my guides this and I was told... Don't worry about it. It's so far away. <laughs> focus on actualizing your spiritual nature. <laughs> and so other universes, other bodies, embodiments, have, have you, you know, met people who've reincarnated from other embodiments? When you say other embodiments? Well, other, other, you know, not just human. Well, there's a term called transmigration of the soul, which is the idea that animals can become people and people can become animals. And I don't see that. I see that we stay within our own kingdom, that a man can have a past life as a woman and vice versa, and that we are different races, but we stay within the human kingdom, just as animals can reincarnate within the animal kingdom. You know, my dog had a past life as a lion, you know. So, but, but I do say, see that we stay within our kingdom and um so and earth as as the planet not another planet and another kind of physical body well i do believe in life on other planets and i do believe that there are beings that incarnate here that are from other planets and that we have also lived on other planets yes um does everybody have a choice if they want to come back or not no um the way i the analogy that i use is it's like a kindergartner or a graduate student that, you know, the kindergartner doesn't choose their curriculum, but the graduate student does. And so sometimes a person is very involved in the plan and sometimes they're just told there's your shoot and this is why. Okay. So here comes the hard question, Ellen. There are those of us who are very fortunate in, in many ways to be living on this side of the planet in North America and others who are not so fortunate to be living in other places soul learning evolution what's the word i'm looking for not evolution but um placement on on where you are it, any any bearing or is it just happenstance like you know, there's great order to the universe um you know one of the fundamental messages my mother gave me which was so poignant was you know she had a very difficult life she mm -hmm. she was beautiful and smart and loving and she ended up having a severe case of ms woke up blind at age 32 oh my gosh and deteriorated rather quickly and so as a little girl i was saying why well she came back to say and this is her quote do not mourn for me i chose what i endured to learn compassion for those who suffer 
And she said, no matter how things appear, if you look deeply, you'll see there are always reasons and always justice. It's not to say that we don't want to improve the justice of our world, but it is to say that we end up in circumstances that are a match for our learning and our contribution. Sometimes a person is incarnate into a very difficult situation because they're strong enough to show others how to handle it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes a person incarnates into a very difficult situation because they've been insensitive to the struggle of others. I mean, it can vary tremendously. There's not one rule, but I do see a profound order. And this is why I love looking at the reincarnation story because it explains why. Okay, so let's go back to first error. Because I think if I understand it correctly, first error is the first time that we become out of alignment with our spirit. Exactly. Okay. So you might have had a few lifetimes and then something happens. Could it be like an accident or could it be um, something that we did that was out of character? Like how might that that happen? And, and is that something that we chose before we came? It usually happens pretty quickly in the reincarnation process. Okay. And, and one of the explanations for that is that, you see, when we're in the spiritual world, things are not identical. There's some fundamental differences. So there isn't time the way there's time here. And we can travel at the speed of thought. We can manifest with thought. And another difference is in the spiritual realm, like is with like. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is why we get the concept of heaven, hell, and purgatory, because people of a similar vibration are together. And here on earth, I always say you can have a saint and a murderer on the same bus. We're right. all together. And because we're all together, we have a different set of lessons and challenges here. And so often people get caught in a first error that's linked to reaction to the environment, not being or others behaving in a way that is not the way they want them to be. So you see, the lesson is how do we, my guides say fulfillment is the actualization of our spiritual nature. How do we actualize our best in the midst of adversity? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you see, that's, we come to the earth because we originally came here for creativity and for expression. But because of the differences in the way that the physical plane operates, people got caught in negative reactions. Is there, um, I want to say, is there morality? Does, is that a concept that exists, like, for real? You know, we made these laws, the Bible says this, but somebody wrote that. Like, is this, is this something that, <laughs> we're going pretty esoterical, I guess. But is it, is it, um, you know, are, are there spiritual laws, let's say, that, that as a soul, we need to adhere to? Yes. Okay. So, so think of it this way. My, well, my guides say it this way, that there are spiritual principles that hold life together. Okay. And these principles, they say the way you know a spiritual principle is that you can't have too much of it. Okay. You can't have too much love. You can't have too much clarity. You can't have too much balance. You can't have too much compassion. These are the principles that hold life together. So when people live in harmony with these principles, they actualize their spiritual nature. And they say positivity are attitudes based in spiritual principles. And attitudes are both thoughts and feelings. 
and negativity are attitudes not based in spiritual principles. So when we actualize our spiritual nature, we are actualizing these spiritual principles in everyday life. And this is where it's complicated because loving in one situation is not loving in another. That it's an attunement to the circumstance and to the spirit. And that's why we can't memorize laws and know how to live. We have to develop our attunement so that we can respond to the variety of circumstances that life presents us in the context of spiritual principles. It's so fascinating and interesting. <laughs> when the can we overcome our first error in this in this life? Um, I always remind myself and others that it's an evolution, not a revolution, that it's a, it's a deep and often gradual transformative process because, um, we're learning to actualize our spiritual nature in a variety of circumstances. So, okay. Okay. Um, let's talk about suicide. You know, there are people who say that God doesn't give you anything more that you can bear, and I beg to differ because I think that, you know, circumstances do exist where people find themselves so pain-filled, so sensitive to this world that they don't want to stay here any longer. So is this something that is considered um, sinful, a waste of, a soul, of, a, of an experience, or how, how would that be interpreted on the other side? Well, I think it's hard to make a broad generalization. I think people take their own life for many different reasons. And so the ramifications of that action vary depending on many factors. I actually had a past life uh, as, a, as a Buddhist monk where I thought the spiritual world was much better than the physical world. So I ate a poisonous plant so I could go back there. And after that, I, I wasn't... I didn't incarnate with as strong bodies because I was told I didn't appreciate the gift of my body. So now I had to work hard to have a strong and healthy body. So that's one ramification. So there, there are many, it depends on the lesson. It depends on the reason why someone takes their life. I, um, I think that it's a complicated question, but going back to what you were talking about, about the amount of suffering, I think one of the real problems here is we have a world that has a lot of greed. And what greed is, is essentially selfishness. Mm -hmm. And part of the spiritual principle is interconnection. We are all connected. We're not just individuals. And nature is trying to teach us this, that if you pollute the air in China, it doesn't stay in China. So we're all interconnected. And so when people are only out for themselves, what you get is imbalance. And so we have a competitive world where people are trying to get theirs rather than ask the question of what's, what's good for the whole. The right. And so this is a very big imbalance. And then it's compounded by the fact that when people are in the solar plexus, they don't make good decisions and are too often swayed 
by cultural conditioning, by advertising, by people who are not motivated for the right reasons. So, you know, from the third eye, you don't put your kids on medication because the doctor tells you to. From the third eye, you see that many of the cultural norms are not healthy. Right. So a lot of suffering comes from going along with cultural norms when they're not healthy norms. Mm-hmm. And I can see, you know, because I personally find it very painful. I mean, I teared up when you said that just because I find it very painful that, that people aren't considerate of other people. You know, really, it really just this idea that they can't comprehend that we are one. That is like so basic for me and so complicated for so many. And it, it's, I find it extremely painful, um, among other things. <laughs> I love to quote my son when he was in high school and I taught him the solar plexus third eye exercise and he's a natural philosopher. He said, when you live life in the solar plexus, you experience the human condition from the human perspective and it's a tragedy. Mm -hmm. When you live life in the third eye, you experience the human condition from the spiritual perspective and it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He didn't say it was easy. Right. The idea of heaven on earth that that we're always trying to you know uh become become or replicate duplicate this you know heaven on earth is is that i i don't understand it in some ways because in some ways i think we're not are we here to do that we're here to have these challenges we're here to to experience things that we don't necessarily have to do on the other side so why would we do that is it just you know, for self-actualization and that, that will tell us that we, we've arrived or is it, uh, you know, an, an, something that we really don't need to do? Is it exercise in futility or, I mean, yes, we're, we're making ourselves better possibly. Well, I think it's important to define the terms. What does heaven on earth mean? Um, there are differences between the spiritual world and the material world, which exist. Mm-hmm. But one way of interpreting that is that we're here to actualize our spiritual nature on the earth. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, you know, I don't think I really tout that phrase. I don't emphasize it um, because I think that there's so many imbalances now on our earth that, you know, we've gone so far off of alignment with spiritual principles that each of us that are working toward that need to be courageous because it's not as common as we want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think we're going to be around for a while? Will our earth survive? Yeah. Well, I, uh, I feel that, uh, you know, I don't see, destruction of our earth in the near future i do see major um cataclysmic events that that are linked to the tremendous imbalance that's taken place in nature i mean this is something we've already seen yeah and and a lot of people suffer because of that and i really think it's nature saying pay attention pay attention that when 
you know, nature is such a beautiful teacher because nature is demonstrating the spiritual principles. And my guide said, you know, be like a zephyr, be like a hurricane, bend like a willow, steady like an oak, you know, that, that when imbalances happen, there are ramifications, you know? So I'm, I'm just wanting to offer my fullest contribution. I want to inspire people to offer theirs and whether our earth survives or not to me is ultimately not the biggest question because I know what does survive is consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so raising consciousness is to me the key because that will change the quality of life on the earth, but it also will go with us wherever we go. This is Frankie Sensenmore. My guest is Ellen Tad. She wrote this amazing book, The Infinite View, and we're listening to her. And it says a guidebook for life on Earth. It's a little bit of a different Frankie Sensenmore today, but it's very fascinating. I hope you're finding it interesting because I certainly am. Um, I like to align the show with the with the United Nations Global Goals. And I think in some ways we've done that today uh, because we've talked about um, – raising consciousness, thinking about others, you know, thinking about our planet, thinking about the animals and, you know, which is things that are very near and dear to my heart. One of the, um, I'm going to quote from, from your, from your website that your guides a message that your guides uh, gave us or gave you to give to us. And, and they said, elevate those around you through maintaining a higher vibration. This is the hope and the salvation of humanity to be elevated to a celestial understanding. And we just talked about that really. Um, you know, so if, if we can, uh, be the best that we can be, you know, and, and think about the connection that we have with others and, and how we can make that a better connection, be more positive and giving and generous instead of greed, greedy. Um, I think we're on our way to doing that. And I think it's, you know, one of the things I see is people who overgive trying to compensate for those who overtake and, so it's really important. To Guilty. Find, you know, it's like, oh, I'm sorry. It's Balance like is um, breathing in and breathing out, right? So you don't want to try to compensate for the imbalance. You want to find the balance in the midst of the imbalance. So you want to give and receive, and you want to demonstrate what, that's, what that is. Your, your, your guide said, I offer another route for, as opposed to staying in suffering. They offer the route of joy. They offer the route of powerful influence. They offer the route of fulfillment of personal desires. How, how would that look? Well, desire is such an interesting word. There's, there's superficial desires, and then there's desire that is really in harmony with our spirit. And so I teach meditation and I help people to get to this deeper level of desire. And so our purpose on earth is to serve or help to actualize, to enjoy, to learn. So we're here to actualize our desires in the spirit. And so the third eye helps us to navigate in attunement, so we can do that. And so is meditation, deep listening. So the two fundamental skills I teach are deep looking and deep listening, because perception really is key. And, you know, we are taught how to look, you know, it's like we're taught this is, this is a bottle. Mm -hmm. We're not taught to look at the energy around the bottle. So right. what, 
what we focus on is what we see, which is why meditation is so important because it helps us to learn to perceive beyond our conditioning. And so what does it look like? Well, living in attunement, you know, it's why I love that my guides trained me when I was raising children, you know, it's cooking dinner, it's, it's raising children, it's paying the mortgage, it's doing all these things, but with deep listening and deep focus. So the way that we go about it is an attunement rather than blending with our culture or rebelling against our culture. It comes from this internal alignment. A lot of people have um, difficulty with the word meditation, not saying it, but doing it. Yes. What is it it about sitting still? Well, I think there are a number of issues in why people have difficulty. One is how many years in school have we spent time being taught to think? Mm -hmm. So there's not been a lot of effort put into teaching how to listen, but how to think. So it's a habit. The other is that in the chakra system, the crown chakra at the top of the head is the bridge from the material to the spiritual dimension. And in the chakra system, it's the most important center for meditation. It's the golden halo in religious pictures. And this center opens with trust, devotion, and inspiration, and it closes with discouragement, worry, fear. I actually see depression as depression in the aura, where expansion in the aura is the feeling of happiness. And I think what causes the depression in the aura is discouragement. And there are a lot of people who are discouraged. So their crown chakra is closed. And what causes discouragement is we've been taught that happiness is getting what we want. And if happiness is hinged to getting what we want, then we're all in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody gets everything they want. But I've been taught that happiness is really the feeling of connectedness Mm -hmm. yeah, rather than getting what we want. So that feeling of connectedness happens whenever we feel inspired. Mm -hmm. And so weaving inspiration into our life keeps the crown open. And when I teach meditation, I always tell people before you start, you have to focus on inspiration and open the crown or your meditation won't go well. Um. Oh, geez, I just lost that thought, too, because <laughs> I was thinking about that too hard. Yeah, opening the crowd, meditation. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Hopefully it comes back because it was, it was a good... Well, it's kind of like learning to read, you know? Yeah. Like once you learn the skill of reading, then the whole world opens up to you. And once you learn how to meditate, a whole world opens up to you. Yes. Oh, I, I think I know what it might have been. Um, the idea of... of raising your vibration, raising that joy, raising the, the creativity and this desire to, uh, you know, to hear. So many people are walking around wondering, what is my purpose? So many, every, like, geez, everybody, you know, as a coach, people I talk to, they all want to know, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? And is it that, you know, they would go to somebody like yourself and say, what is my purpose, Ellen? What is it? You know, is that this... And, and, and the problem is, would it be easier if they just knew what their purpose was and they could go, oh, okay, now I can concentrate. Or is it, you know, that struggle to figure it all out? Is that the important part? Um, both. Um, <laughs> I think that, um, 
you know, when I first work with someone, I always go into their past lives and I trace them back to find out what is your spiritual emphasis and what is your first error. And when I look at that, I see that fundamentally I can make a universal statement. Everyone is here to learn to actualize their spirit and everyone is here to learn how to heal this first error. Well, what that looks like for everyone is very different. Um, so there's that part in terms of the purpose of what am I here to learn and the purpose of what am I here to contribute. Right. And then what that looks like, there's, it's, at, it's more complexity. And in my book, I have a chapter on the relationship between destiny and choice. Mm-hmm. And that for some people, it's easier to predict because they have destiny. And therefore, it's fixed. Other people have less destiny. And so how the life manifests is very different because it has to do with their creative choice because their lessons are different. They're here to learn confidence and creativity versus someone with more destiny is here to learn patience and trust. So we each have a different mixture of destiny and choice. And so, so there are a number of questions to look at in, in answering. Does it make a difference in, in your evolution of your, of your soul, if it's destiny or choice? Not necessarily. Okay. Because it, it's more about what the, what the lessons are and what's the timing and the orchestration of many factors. But one is not better than the other. Let's There's talk a- about karmic debt. Karma is karma a bitch? (laughs) Well, it's cause and effect. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, in some ways, cause and effect can be a real plus, and cause and effect can be a real challenge, right? So it can go either way. Um, You know, I had a past life a couple of lives ago where I was a very wealthy woman, and I helped a lot of people. And it always seems like when I need money, it comes. And my guide said, that's because of that life where I helped a lot of people. So that's a cause and effect. That's a very positive thing. Because I had that life where I took my life because I thought the spiritual world was groovy. And I was a monk. You know, my body means I have to really take good care of it and work hard with exercise. And I have to eat really strict and take really good care. And it's a lot of work and it's cause and effect. So we each have a mixture of cause and effect of, of the negative and the positive. And think of it this way. It's the past life experiences when we have actualized our spiritual nature and when we haven't. And so it's not that life is punishing us. It's that it's giving us consequences so we can learn. And that's, that's good to know as a parent or as a teacher that we learn through consequences. And that's how life functions. Well, when you're being punished, let's say, or get, having consequences for an action that you know about, that's one thing. But when you you have a life where you're being severely challenged as a consequence for a life that you didn't know about, it's a little more difficult to understand yes. the lesson. It's true. And so this is where meditation is helpful to get to a deeper understanding. But also, I tell people that if you have a reaction that's much bigger than the circumstance, know that there's a karmic underpinning. If you have, um, you know, a circumstance that 
you know, whether it's a relationship or, you know, there's where things are either remarkably easy or remarkably challenging. There's a karmic underpinning. I just want to say hi to Danielle. Hi, Danielle. If you have a question for Ellen, type it in the window there. I'll, I'll, I'll see it and I can ask her. Um, how long would it last? Like, how, how long would my debt last? Like, when can I write it off? <laughs> so this is my analogy. It's the difference between learning a lesson and karma. Okay. Let's say I'm trying to figure out how much two plus two is, and I'm counting it on my fingers. Mm -hmm. And I think two plus two is three, but then I count it on my fingers and I discover it's four. And then I've learned, right? I've learned my lesson. Mm -hmm. Two plus two is four. four. Let's say I cut my hair all off because I want it to be really short and I don't like it. I then have to wait so karma is all about time. So it's not just about learning a lesson. It's I've learned the lesson that I don't want my hair to be that short, but now I have to wait for the ramifications of my actions. That's karma. So in terms of timing, it's very linked to the action and the circumstance. So for example, I reincarnated with my family of origin and we reconnected from ancient Rome. Well, that's, that was a long time ago. But because we all went off on our own different journeys, it took that long for all of us to be reunited again to work out the karma from that life. So past life is not necessarily, past life karmic resolution is not necessarily as sequential. Right. What happened to me last life. Right. So, so interesting. And I can just imagine though, that people who, who feel so alone or feel like they don't belong in this world or feel like a misfit, if they knew that they had true purpose, if they knew why they were here, if they knew that there, there's a reason for them and, and it's not just as a placeholder, how much better they might feel. So my guides say, when you're having a hard time, go, go back to basics. And the basics are disciplines that um, eating well, exercise, getting a good night's sleep, meditation, the use of the third eye, observe one's thoughts and start to become the master of them. The development of the mind through reading and writing and contemplating. But, you know, the disciplines, I, as a kid, I had a plastic doll and if you gave it a punch, it bounced back. And in the bottom of it was sand. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people that the disciplines of the body, mind, and the spirit are like the sand in my doll. And when you have that sand, you get stable. And that sand then helps you to develop. And, and so, you know, when my guides first got a hold of me, I was not disciplined. And they said, either you become disciplined or we won't work with you. And so they were taskmasters. And I think that, um, you know, the discipline, when it's united with inspiration, is a winning combination. Mm-hmm. We, we've got, what, about 10 minutes, I think. Is there something or anything that, that you're working on right now that you want to make sure that we talk about? Let's give out your website, Ellen. Let's give that out right now. And um, we'll see if there's anything else that we need to, to cover. It's L- simply ellentad, T-A-D-D, dot com.
Um, I'm going to be teaching a workshop at the end of March in New York. If there's anyone in your audience who's in the New York area or wants to come to New York. Um, Where will that be at? Uh, it's, I actually have a good old friend who has, has a wonderful space in her building. Nice, nice. All that, all that it'll be, you know, set up privately. Um, well, let me think. Um, you know, you, you've mentioned about how many people are struggling and, and I'm really aware of that. And, you know, when people start to see that they're spirit as well as human, then it really starts to create self-esteem that people are all good, no matter what their behavior is. My guides say that if you can see that your identity is spirit and your behavior is just your stage of learning at the time, then everyone is good. And I think that when there's a fundamental feeling that we are important, that we have value, that we're part of the creative force of the universe, this in many ways was the first lesson I was taught. I like that a lot. And I know in, in your book um, about death and dying, you, you, and you talk to people about, about death because it, it's, it gives comfort to know that you're going to, you know, that it's not yeah. the end. It, it, when I was little, um, it was, I couldn't even fathom that this, me, the essence of me would, would be gone forever. Like it just, it just blew my mind how that could, like you walk here and then nobody would ever remember you and a hundred years from now or whatever, you'd be just, unless you made, had a legacy, you know, uh, you would be gone. And it just seems so strange to me that, you yes. know, you just come for 75 years or whatever it is and boom, gone. And you knew you had this kind of innate knowing that, that that didn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't make sense at all. So, you know, what comfort say could you give to people? Who, or who has somebody, you know, a loved one dying right now, maybe, or are facing that. I, I like, I had a friend, um, a young girl, she had MS as well as your mom, like your mom and uh, 38 years old, left two daughters, you know, and left the planet um, in September. Had wonderful faith, but, you know, you can't help but feel like, wow, how unfair is that? How unfair, you know, to only be here for a little bit, but then, you know, she'll come back, she'll come back and. Hopefully things will be better for her. You know, we're multidimensional. And so at the spiritual level, yes, she will, she will continue. And in my, my death and letting go book, I tell people, um, when you're in the spiritual world, you manifest your self image. My oldest brother died of ALS. And oh, wow. when he was dying, I talked to him about what the other side would be like. And I said, uh, when you leave your body, you want to visualize your very favorite self-image because in the spiritual world, you manifest your self-image and you don't want to have the self-image of a sick person. No. You want to manifest your favorite self-image. And I asked him to think about it. And I asked him to consider the affirmation, I am spirit, I go to spirit, I am light, and I go to light. 
he did those things. And 12 hours after he died, he appeared to me and he looked like a college freshman. Nice. Thought, Aha, this is your very favorite self-image. So yes, we are spirit. We continue. And that is really comforting to know. The other part, because we're multidimensional, is that unfortunately on our earth, we're getting poisoned. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, catastrophe and global warming. Well, I'm doing a lot of talking about the fact that we're being poisoned and it's harming people. Heavy metals are key to the cause of MS and ALS. And people have heavy metal toxicity. Our food is denatured because we have uh, pesticides mm-hmm. which have harmed our soils And so there's a real need not only to work at the spiritual level, but in caring for our bodies, we have to work extra hard because our environment is not a healthy environment. And because I'm a sensitive, you know, I have really dramatic experiences like driving near a nuclear power plant and I know it's leaking because I feel terribly sick. And then when I get away from it, I'm fine. So we have nuclear power plants that are leaking radiation and we have, um, you know, just a lot of people eating tuna <laughs> shouldn't be that's like, right. it's yeah, complex. So yeah. I always tell my children detox, 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 because we're in a very toxic environment. How do you express that, that detox? How would you tell people to detox? Oh, it's, it's actually complicated. So you need to work with a practitioner who really understands it. I mean, how you detox heavy metals is different. Are you talking spiritual detox or a physical detox? detox. Mm -hmm. So working on the body, working on the soul, recognizing, as I said, we're multidimensional. And so we don't want to just heal the soul. We want to heal the soul and the body. And because we're disconnected from spiritual principles, the choices that we make in the physical world are important i yeah because it struck me my gosh your mom has ms your brother had als that's a lot for one family yes and what you see is certain genetic propensities and then certain environmental challenges that that uh trigger them but (laughs) it brings me back this genetic propensity it's only your family for one lifetime possibly just strange and there's an interconnection so um there's an interconnection between the soul learning the physical challenges the environment in which we find ourselves. you know my guides say disease comes from attitude environment and karma now your 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 relatives who have passed your mom let's say um are they a spiritual soul group that you have incarnated with many times or in passing Yes, but our our soul family is somewhat large, so they're part of it. But, okay, but there are many others. When people say they're watching over you, are they watching over you? Excuse me about that. Um, well, it's a complicated question. I mean, yes, but I always encourage family members to not watch over because I want them to go on spiritually and would rather have the guides and the teachers watching over us. Does everybody have a guide and teacher watch over them? Everyone can have a guide or a teacher watching over them. They travel at the speed of thought. Okay. And so when there's an openness, they can get through. And a lot of times they get through in the shower. 
Yeah, yeah. I think they come in when I'm driving. <laughs> yes, exactly. So you trans states. Whenever you're in a meditative state and you're opened, that's when mm-hmm. they'll come come to you. So when you hear, when you hear the knowing of something, that is a guide, possibly. Possibly. I tell people to pay attention to direction. Does it come to you? Does it come from you? Is it all around you? Mm-hmm. There's different, different ways that we receive, and they have different qualities to them. Interesting. Okay. This has been a wonderful conversation with Ellen Tad, The Infinite View. I think you're going to want to uh, check out the book, read it. It's fascinating. Go to her website maybe go to New York and, and study with her. But Ellen, I'm so glad that we actually got through this interview <laughs> as opposed to our other one. So I want to thank you for that. And thank you everybody for tuning in this week and each and every week that you tune in with me. Just stay tuned. Questions in your depth. Thank you. Thank you.